This is the first podcast, uh, uh, first episode uh, of a podcast by two guys uh, named Chris and Mike. And uh, we don't have a name yet, do we, Mike? No, for now it's branding with Chris and Mike, maybe? Yeah, it's, uh, or... Um, I have a feeling branding's going to come up a lot. Yeah, well, and Arizona's going to come up a lot. Arizona's also going to come up a lot. Because yeah. where are we? We're in, we're in Arizona. We're in Arizona, we're in Phoenix area. And we kind of like it. <laughs> we're weird. It's always sunny. <laughs> do you mind the heat, Mike? Um, I I do. Like mm-hmm. you would think that after 32 years in Arizona, you'd get used to it. But about August 1st of every year, I kind of do this like really long exhale <laughs> where I just go, oh, I really am tired of this, and I still got two months to go. And, and what is that like? What is that two-thirds of the way through the heat? Yeah, it's, it's about two-thirds-ish. Because okay. I feel like the heat <clears throat> is like May 1st through the end of September. October's could still be kind of warm, but the nights start to cool down a little bit. Yeah. And I'm sure someone listening to this somewhere will complain about how, no, October's still really freaking hot because it'll be 100 degrees on like October 15th. Yeah. Which is just insane. Opinions, opinions though, are like swimming pools, right? In Arizona, everyone has one. Everyone has one. So, <laughs> and no one cleans them up. <laughs> yeah. The best that you can hope for is have a good pool guy. So I and good I, opinion guy. Yeah. Well, and and so and, and I'm from Oregon, which yeah. is strange because I was last totally different. last summer I was out there. We had an opportunity to go up to Cowtown Range and and sling some lead, and um, it was 112, and I'm just like happy as a clam out yeah. there. You know, I had my long sleeve, you know, cool, cool shirt on, and and uh, yep. you know, and it was uh, it was it was okay. I love it. I love the sunshine. I do not mind the heat. That's I mean, awesome. everybody does a little bit, but I mean, it's just not yeah. a big emotional thing for me. So no. it's great. Arizona. So yes. Yeah, so Arizona brands. And uh, I think one of the things we're going to try to do is um, is uh, convince, we're going to try to convince people that um, the value of branding and what it really means. And it's not just a look and feel of it. Correct. You're totally spot on. Like, I think <clears throat> that's the common, I think, belief or, mm-hmm. or perception of branding is that it's just the style. It's the outward appearance of a brand. Uh, maybe some personality. I think some people would, would go as far as to say that there's like some underlying personality that's driving mm-hmm. the brand. Um, but I'm a very firm believer that brand is ultimately based in the truth of an organization. Nice. And the best way to define the truth of an organization is its values, its belief system. Um, that really it's the, the belief that drives behavior. And so if you're if you're applying kind of a style to the outside of a brand and you're not taking into account the values, the belief system of the organization, mm-hmm. you're going to find at some point a conflict where people acting on behalf of the brand will behave a certain way because they have a certain value system that's either trained into them or instilled into them or hired into them, mm-hmm. right? Because our hiring processes and our training is a reflection of what we believe as, a, as an organization. Mm-hmm. Take Uber for a great example. Um, as a negative example right now. Okay. Um, but if you, yeah, so if you say like, well, Tell hey, me about Uber. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we, Uber. So Uber is in all sorts of hot, hot water right now. Um, there was a blog post that came out two weeks ago from one of their senior developers, a uh, female senior developer, who basically like, kind of opened the Pandora's box of sexual harassment that's been going on at Uber. Oh, wow. Okay. And that has kind of escalated into other issues and the CEO is kind of in some hot water for allowing that to happen mm-hmm. under his watch. Um, they've already had some, I think at least one senior VP leave. It was revealed that he had um, some sexual harassment issues at Google before he came into Uber. So there's this kind of, it's, it's seeming like there's a, there's an underlying cultural issue here at uber um this isn't just like one case or one abnormality but it's there's kind of a pervasive issue going on so it's almost like what you're saying is that that leadership kind of creates that culture yep. that you know you could call it you know you could say brands on the outside but in re- in reality it's like it's it starts inside. on the inside it starts right? on the inside <clears throat> and yep. so they're creating that culture that allows yep. those things to happen right? yeah. just like our, our personalities as individuals are, are rooted in our own values, our own mm-hmm. philosophy of life, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, we can each have some similarities in our personality despite having differences in values. But at the end of the day, like what I believe about the world around me and how 
I want to interact with people and how they should interact with me mm-hmm. is going to drive a lot of my behavior. Yeah. And I think organizations are just an extension of the group of people that they are, right? Mm-hmm. An organization is a group of people. <laughs> as much as I think some entrepreneurs and business owners would would try to fight me on that and wish that no one was involved in their business except them. <laughs> um, but in reality, like you don't have a business if you don't have people, even if it's just you. Um, and so, you know, if that group of people at some point, even if it's not even thought through or explicit, has some kind of like cultural center, it has like a some unstated value system through which they make decisions, even if that value system is, whatever feels good to you, right? It mm. could be as simple as that or whatever you think the owner would do, you so, know, even though he's never or she has never told you what they would do. Yeah. Um, but, so, I mean, people are watching, right? Yeah. Well, this is very interesting because you're bringing up a really interesting – so rich, rich topic is, is what I'm understanding right now. <laughs> there will be many, many, yes. many podcasts that follow up on this stuff. Um you and I both believe, and we, Mike, you and I have talked extensively on this kind of thing. Uh, we believe that that. So 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 first of all, let's talk about because we need to get we need to get disciplined, right, and get yeah. into all these topics and organize yeah. this podcast. And we're doing we're having a lot of fun, but we we also want to talk about what is the why should a why should a brand why should a company want to be a brand and not just a um, transactional. Um, uh, commodity mm-hmm. that is basically a price competitor and that's all they can do. Why should, why should a brand, and we've talked about taking this. That is a brand. Oh, okay. Tell yeah. me about that. Yeah. So when you're a commodity, mm-hmm. you have a brand. It's just a crappy brand that no one wants to buy. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So I'm a firm believer that every business has a brand, whether they like it or not, whether they've thought about it or not. Okay. Because a brand ultimately is in the, is, is a perception that your customer has of you. I can see, I can see that I can see I, I I can kind of see it both ways but um but because I mean I guess you know what well we're the authorities on brand names are we <laughs> on this podcast, let's just say we, we are. are yeah <laughs> we are the authorities um, well, we can we can we can debate that we can yeah. have a little I don't think it matters though I think the print the I think what the the point is and the reason I'm I'm willing to just say yeah you know, yep. you're right is because um the, the the real the real question is what's the value of the brand? Exactly. You know, exactly. To, to, to your to your audience. Yep. And and to your shareholders. And do people want to be associated? Do I want to be able to tell other people that I own stock in your company? Yep. Am I proud of that, or am I just trying to hide it because hey, it's a cash cow and I'm making like you know or, they pay regular dividends, it's super small, but whatever, it's yeah. safe, it's blue chip. Or do people want to work for you? <clears throat> yeah. You know? People want to work for you. How much is it costing you to have an employee? Yep. You know because your brand sucks. Yeah. <laughs> really yeah. interesting. So. So we're getting to this whole idea of the high ground, and and I love I, I'm an unash, unashamed user of military um, uh-huh. because you know it's funny because you know you have you have a lot of writing in military um, like you know doctrine and, and strategies and, and things like that, and it's highly testable. You know, mm-hmm. usually you can look at it and say, oh, that worked for Napoleon or um, whatever because, and so you have a lot of and, and it's life and death too. So it's like. In business, we can sometimes play games with uh, the truth a lot of times, yep. but um, in war, it's true that the winner writes history books. But um, there's also a lot of a lot of things that really translate well, and one of them is fight, fighting from the high ground. It's choosing what battle you want to fight, and choosing a good um, place to fight from. Yeah, good positioning. Yeah, a good positioning. Position. Uh, we didn't even try that. We didn't even try to do that. That just kind of happened. That just happened. Brand <laughs> positioning. <laughs> totally. And so, um, and so I think one of the things that we want to, we want to talk about throughout every, every podcast we do, right, mm-hmm. is this whole idea of how does it make everything easier when you have the higher ground? How does it make yeah. everything easier when you have a good name, yeah. right? When you have a brand that, that, that people hear and say that has value yeah. for, for whatever reason, right? It's a lot easier to run downhill. Mm. And when you have the high ground, you start from uphill, right? You're always running down. And you're either defending against the onslaught, right, right? with the high ground, mm-hmm. which makes it harder for them, or you're attacking and you're running. Yeah, totally. And, and, and can, do you, can you see more? Oh, yeah. You can see so <laughs> you can much see more. more. 
um, you can uh, you can you can think farther, you can see farther ahead, you know, as the analogy maybe. But um, and so we talk about um, you know choosing the high ground, and to, to me, choosing the high ground and getting that high ground is a function of and tell me if I'm wrong, Mike, but a, a function of values setting goals the right goals yep. you know the right goal is almost the high ground where your values yep. start to inform like what you're looking for and your mission vision and yep. values are kind of like all right well what kind of high ground would i look for and your yeah. goal is like that is the high ground that yep. defines where we want to fight from that goal that's the high ground that works best for us mm. right yeah yep. yeah and so uh and so when we talk about um, you and I are both very interested, even though even though you're more on the. Um, so, so so tell us about what you do real quick. Yeah. Um, so I run a brand agency called Resound, and we do a lot of creative work. We do a lot of design and writing and and web development for small, medium-sized businesses. So yeah, we care a lot about brand and about brand strategy, but then we're always looking at like how can we help our clients execute that well um, with you know excellence and creativity and how can we take that high ground and really utilize it to their best advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that's a great analogy for us. So, so, so you, even though you're very concerned with, um, no, we, we, we do want to make sure what, you know, you look good as a brand. Yep. Um, but the first things, the first things first is, is alignment. Yes. So how do Absolutely. we make sure that, yeah. How do we make sure that every, everything we write, everything that we create, um, works for that campaign and how do we make sure that campaign works for your objectives and how do we know if your objectives are working for that goal and how do we know that goal meets with your um, mission vision values yep. right and so Absolutely. that's why all this stuff so important is because money is wasted yes. when you try to do all that stuff without <laughs> yeah right without without knowing what you're what you're going after yep. right um, because and I've heard it said uh, it's impossible to measure trade-offs if you don't know your goal yeah and yeah, trade-offs you just have to assume that you're going to lose a whole bunch of money. <clears throat> yeah, just you're assume. You're going to waste some of it yeah. at some level. Yeah, if you're just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks, right? Yeah. <laughs> some of it's going to fall to the ground. I bet most of it will. But. Yeah. So so, so we talked about um, in the first episode, right? The, we wanted to talk about uh, episode that, that doesn't have a name yet. <clears throat> we want to talk about how we can take uh, we can take the high ground um and and so and so let me read the sentence that we kind of wrote right so so the idea is that uh, we want to talk about how Arizona brands can take the high ground through values mm-hmm. um, to make goals and plans through strategy and then execute well yep. and between the two of us the reason we're doing this podcast is is we are passionate about these things and we see people doing it wrong we see people doing it right we love it when they do right and we want to like challenge people who are doing it wrong yep. because we want Arizona. To be awesome, it's where we live, it's our home. Absolutely, man. it's sunny. Absolutely. It's uh, sunny. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, so, so that that raises a couple of questions. I'll just kind of list them off, and we can yeah. kind of chat about them um, individually. But um, let's let's break apart that whole thing, and let's say so, so. First of all, why Arizona? Yeah. Um, the second one is why the high ground. The third one is why strategy, and the fourth one is why execution. Those are all in that sentence. So let's talk about why, because. We want to put our money where our mouth is, and we yeah. want to talk about all these things that we want companies to do, that yep. we think brands should do. So, so, so we're going to do it yep. first. Challenge, challenge ourselves. We're going to eat our own dog food <clears throat> or drink our own Kool Aid or yes, yeah, some other whatever weird food analogy. Your analogy is that's what we're doing. If you're into cats, you can eat cat food instead. <laughs> cat food, yes. <laughs> Just don't don't develop any hairballs. Uh, we take no responsibility for any hairballs that might result from this episode. Oh man. So, um, so yes, let's start Please. with why Arizona, Chris. Okay. I want to hear your, your answer to this question. Okay. Well, let me start off as, because that's where we, uh, that's where we live. Yep. I, I moved to Arizona from Oregon. I chose Arizona. So it's like, it, it's kind of like, okay, well you can't choose your family, you know, but you can adopt kids <laughs> and you're, you know, and, and, and well, you know, I mean, yep. we've, we've adopted two kids. Yep. Our kids are adopted in real life. Not even joking. Awesome. But, um, but, uh, but the idea is that, like, you know, I was from Oregon, and Oregon's pretty, you know, considered pretty beautiful, but I love Arizona. And part of what I love about Arizona is just the ruggedness, mm-hmm. you know? People complain it's wild, wild west, you know, there's no uh, regulation and everything. And I'm kind of <laughs> like, eh, I kind of like that, you know? I mean, I kind of like... A little bit of freedom. I, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I like, uh, I like, you know, doing certain activities in the desert that involve lead, and, um, and uh, I... 
I like uh, I, I like sunshine. You know, I like um, I like desert racing. I yep. mean, uh, you know, so so I so I love Arizona. You know, and I love what it's capable of. I, I love what I think it can represent and how it can provide a unique leadership, just like I think every state should, mm -hmm. you know, have a culture and some leadership that it exerts, you know, on the rest of uh, our country. And so yeah. that's that's my, sh my my short answer. Yeah, I like it. How about you, Mike? Uh, <clears throat> I think some similar things in there. I mean, I'm born and raised here, so mm -hmm. it's kind of in my blood, whether I like it or not. Right. Um, and I've thought about leaving, and every time I think about it, it's like, well, you know what? I really like everything that Arizona has to offer, and there are things that I don't like. Mm -hmm. um, it's certainly not a perfect state, but then again, I look at every other state and I go, none of them are perfect, right? None of them are going to fit every single ideal that I have for what I want. But one of the things I really like about Arizona, specifically like the Phoenix area, is that um, in reality, we're a very young city. We're a young state, right? We've been a state since 1914. Yeah. And we've been a city, like Phoenix was started in the 1860s. If you go all the way back to like when like the mill was built that Tempe is kind of built around, huh. um, and then <clears throat> some of the downtown of Phoenix. Um, and so there's a sense where like we're at a time and place in Arizona and in the Phoenix metropolitan area in particular where identity for the state and for the city hasn't been solidified yet. Mm. No one owns it yet. And I really like that I'm a part of a community, of this larger community, who's trying to figure that out and figure out who is Arizona and what is Phoenix and what does it mean to be an Arizonan? What does it mean to be a Phoenician? Yeah. What does it mean to live in the East Valley or the West Valley and the different parts and the, the different areas of the city? Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, I think we're already seeing like there's there's changes happening and I'm excited because some of the changes I'm seeing happening don't look like some of the changes that have happened in the past. Like I remember 10 years ago, there was a real push to redevelop um, the urban core of Phoenix and it just really didn't take off for various reasons. And there's another push right now. And so I think some people are like, well, is this really going to happen or is it just going to be a repeat of 10 years ago? which was a repeat of 10 years prior to that, right. where it's kind of these false starts. And yet I'm seeing just a cohesive um, activity of trying to develop Phoenix and Arizona as a, as a true destination, not just for tourists, not just for retirees, but for people who really want to like invest their families and their, and their work here mm, okay. right and that gets me really excited um that i think arizona is on the verge of really kind of rediscovering itself mm. and what it means to be arizona I'm, that's part of the reason why i was you know really intrigued when we started talking about doing this podcast about branding in arizona and what it means to be a brand in arizona yeah and um being able to add to that conversation yeah in a way and and talk about it and you know we'll see what happens i, I hope we can bring more voices on yeah, and and really kind of develop a community of people who are passionate about Arizona and about building brands here. Yeah, um, and you know I think we're going to find there's a there's a pretty wide diversity of perspectives, um, and yet there's I think some commonalities between everyone that that works and plays here in Arizona, and and I hope that eventually we find that this can maybe be one small part of really identifying and creating a brand for Arizona. Yeah, um, you know there could be a, a cultural resonance with, <clears throat> with this state and what it means to live here and work here and play here and raise your family here and yeah do all the things that people want to do yeah and, and so and, and I, uh, I I agree with you um, in fact um, you know I'm interested in seeing you know the region grow as well okay. and um, and I, I want to see um, and I, th I think what's interesting about branding Arizona this idea of branding Arizona is that if um, we if we can attract if we can create that brand make more sense of it look at the companies that are working here look at uh, things that work things that don't work we can start uh, helping people understand that they fit here you know like companies I'm talking about companies yeah. from outside yeah. the area you know that that hey this is actually a good place for you strategically this is your high ground right yep. I mean this is a great place to operate from um, for instance I don't know some some businesses are going to be they want to be close to California, not in California, because yep. of the you know for whatever reason the 
politics or the the weather's too nice for that. I don't know what, what the deal's <laughs> but um the real estate you know is insane. The real, yeah the real estate too too uh, you know yeah um and so 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 for the right reasons yep. you know so so how do we help people understand what are the right reasons to yep. to come to Arizona and um when I was in Oregon uh, one of the last uh, so I I taught advertising at the University of Oregon for a few years and and the one um one of the most interesting things that I was asked to do was uh, start this class called Oregon Brands. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what we did was we went around the, we went around, had, had our students go around the state and essentially they traveled and they went to, you know, visit their regions, right. That we identified at the very beginning of the class and they came back to tell us what the identity of that region was. So cool. And so at the end of the, at the end of the term, we treat, I treated it like a campaigns class and just said, okay, well, your goal then is to create a campaign that'll get people to, you know, go visit that, that part of the, you know, that part of the state. And so it was really interesting, the things that were starting to happen in that, in that, in that course. And so when you and I started talking, you know, and I thought, man, Arizona, we talked about Arizona, maybe it doesn't have its identity yet, like you said. Um, so, so, so that's my take. And, and in a way you and I bring very, two very different perspectives mm-hmm. because you know so much about the region and the area and your clients are from here and I'm a transplant, Yeah. you know? And so I'm, I'm coming from like, you know, just this, like, you know, at, at Oregon where we're thinking more about what's going on in New York and LA and everything yep. and then, you know, the or Seattle than anything else in, uh, in San Francisco. Um, and then, you know, and so, so we're bringing that kind of yep. a, kind of a cool, I think it's a cool perspective. I, think I love awesome. talking with you. It's like the inside that. and the outside yeah. and, and putting them together. And I mean, I think we reflect two different aspects of people who live here anyway. Right. Yeah. Like there's, there's some natives. Uh, <laughs> Although I think people seem to assume that it's rare that we stick around. Um, but I think there's more than people realize. And then also, I mean, there's tons of transplants from all over the country and Pacific Northwest is a big, big drop. I've always seen Oregon stuff and oh, Washington yeah. and everything. Yeah. They just can't stand the weather up there, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, and, you know, there's some cultural things too, right? You know, I think you identified a couple of them. One, it's like just, there's a little less, you know, regulation and government oversight here. And that's attractive to a lot of people who are coming from states and cities where there's a lot more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, you know, there's you know great climate that you could have year round and, um, you know, it's, it's very affordable. So if you're coming from, you know, major metropolitan area like Seattle, Portland, LA, San Francisco, New York, like, man, the prices here just look really good. Yeah. You can get a lot more bang for your buck. Just be ready for a long drive. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And a fast drive. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, I, I think one of the other things too is, um, about branding is, um, in addition to all this great stuff about Arizona is what's all the stuff that sucks. Oh because, yeah. There's some know, stuff that sucks. Like branding is all, is it firstly, it's about finding the truth, right? Yep. You know, and, and so, sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes in that process, like, I know when we work with clients, there's times where it's like, we kind of put the mirror up mm-hmm. and they got to look at themselves maybe in a way they've never done, or maybe they haven't in a long time and kind of identify some things where it's like, Hey, you say you want to be like this. Yeah. We're not seeing it. <laughs> and that's okay. Like, it's okay to be aspirational, but I think you want to assess that against, is that real? You know, are you aspiring for something that just is never going to work? Right. Um, and I think we want to do that for Arizona too. Yeah. I mean, because we can't have in branding, you don't want to have those kinds of fundamental loose ends. You don't want to have those loose ends at the core of who you are. Yep. And so it's really helpful to recognize, um, just like, just like, a you might have a child who is trying to find themselves. Well, you know, in college or whatever, you know, it's really important that they do that, but it's also really important that they, they are also very logical and, and, and clear headed about it mm-hmm. where they might try, try something and a good coach might tell them, how would you know? If you're good at that, yeah. or how would you know if you suck at that, you know, and, and, uh, and then ask them for evidence, you know, I think that's what good brand accountability does, you know, by saying, by taking that stand, by saying, we will stand for integrity, you know, we will stand for brand integrity, um, by taking that stand, you're putting yourself at risk, but if you really care about integrity, it's really a winning situation over you, yeah. you know, because you're going to be able to prove it because, because a, a good brand, Arizona doesn't have to be perfect. Nope. You know, it just has to be genuine. Yes. It doesn't have to be yes. completely, you know. It has to be who it is. Yeah. And not someone else. Yeah. And, and, and it's just like a SWOT analysis, right? In the yeah. weaknesses area, some people think, oh, weaknesses, we have to fix those. But you don't. Nope. You, you, once you get to the weaknesses, you choose and you say strategically, given our goals, given who we think we are, 
most of these things we're not going to even try to be good at. Yep. We're not going to be, we're going to try to have the best, you know, whatever that some other state has or some other metropolitan area has. We will have the best of, of these things. And there are a couple of the weaknesses that you say, actually, if we improve that, that would be on brand. Yep. Those would be on brand um, yep. improvements to make. Yep. Right. And so all this is really just, you know, it's strategy. But once again, without aligning strategy to a goal, you don't really have a strategy. You can't make trade-offs. And trade-offs are the essence of strategy. What activities are going to be the best activities to get us to that goal? So, so uh, Arizona. So, <laughs> uh, and you notice we, we didn't say uh, we didn't say the we're trying we're trying to attract the biggest businesses, the best businesses. No. But what are we saying? The right businesses. The right, ah, I love you, Mike. I love you. You read my thoughts. <laughs> we're on the same page, man. That's why we're doing this. <laughs> exactly. It works out really well. So, um, so another question then. Um, so, why the high ground? Um, and, and I think that's our next uh, that's our next question. Why the high ground? Uh, what happens when you choose the wrong the wrong with the wrong ground? Yeah, I mean, it just it makes everything a whole lot harder, right? It's like when you to use a different analogy than the high ground. If you were to take the the carpentry model, right? When that master craftsman picks up that piece of wood and is envisioning what he's going to make out of it, mm-hmm. there's a point at which Yes, you might want to make a bowl, but there are certain limitations to that piece of wood, like the grain, where mm-hmm. the knots are, mm-hmm. uh, the character of the wood, how hard or soft it is, mm-hmm. um, what's the shape of it, okay. and all of those things play into what can you really make out of it. Yeah, maybe you could force making a bowl out of it, but maybe that piece of wood is a lot better for like the leg of a, of a, of a chair hmm. or a table. Because that's the shape and the form for that piece of wood. And so every brand is like a big chunk of wood. And at some point it's somewhat fashioned or it's not fashioned at all, right? And we're we're trying to find the truth of that piece of wood, mm-hmm. right? What is the grain? Where are the knots? Where Where is it strong? Where is it weak? And how is that going to, how can you, if your goal is to look like this or to be this, this company, right, or this brand, right. you're going to be, you know, the... Um, this amazing consumer product good brand that creates these all natural products for people. Well, let's take a look at your values, right? That's the grain, right? Mm-hmm. That let's take a look at your weaknesses and your strengths. Those are your knots and your like piece, you know, the, the areas where the, the wood isn't quite fitting right yeah. together. And you kind of go, okay, if that's what we want to be, but this is the piece of wood we have to work with, does that work? Right? Yeah. And even, I mean, even at some level, it's like, you got to know your market too, right? So like, if I want to make a bowl out of this piece of wood, is it going to sell? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, a, it's like a little bit of a dance. It's, yeah. like a, it's like a negotiation. If you think about it, right? It's not like hostile negotiation. It's kind of a negotiation where I'm finding out, oh, what, what works for my, for my customers and, 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 you know, what works for me? And you're kind of, you know, you're no. kind of creating that conversation. Where is that intersection, right? Yeah. This brand is at the intersection of organizational culture and like values and behavior, you know, the, the values that the company has, the behaviors that are, mm-hmm. that are come out of those values and the consumer, right? The market. Mm-hmm. And that intersection is where the brand kind of comes to life. Mm-hmm. Right. So we can, we can talk all day long about defining your brand and creating guidelines and, and putting, you know, putting it all down on paper and even training your employees on how to use that. But the rubber only hits the road when customers experience the brand and interact with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why like, it's so interesting in this digital age that we live in because the consumer owns so much more of the conversation. You know, mm-hmm. If you go back 40 years, it was like the brand could kind of own the whole conversation because it was simply the brand speaking through the megaphone of advertising and people responded by either buying or not buying, mm-hmm. right? And maybe, yeah, you'd get some customer complaints every once in a while in a letter. Right. That, but that was the conversation. And word of mouth had a limited reach. Yeah, it had limited reach because people could only reach the people in their own like personal network of their neighbors, friends, family, and you know, whatever religious organization they're a part of or maybe their school or you know, yeah. their workplace. Oh, what do you do? You get up in front of church and say, yeah. uh, by the way, <laughs> don't buy these I guys. I had a bad experience with Nabisco. <laughs> 
That would actually be an awesome idea. Track bulletin boards, <laughs> yeah. brand bashing boards. Nice. That'd be hilarious. Well, and, and you know, but but um, you know, it's more it's 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 almost obsolete now because because the uh, because now we go on a social media medium, yeah. right? Yeah. And then we 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 say why, right? So yeah. so when I go to buy something on Amazon. I'm looking at usually I look at like even if they have only a couple of bad reviews, I want to know the quality of those reviews. Yeah. I want to know why people are mad. Yeah. And if they're mad because they just ordered the wrong thing, yeah. then I'll know. Yeah. But if they're mad because it's you defective know, or just, yeah, whatever shipped late, yeah, or <clears throat> it just didn't fit what they were looking for or and what can, they thought it was. And if I can deal with a little late shipping, then I don't care, right? Yeah. And so I can look at stars. Now I can look at quality. You know yeah. those stars and and really just kind of like yeah. make a good decision. Not to worry. And, I mean, you could go a step further and, like, I mean, I do this all the time. Like, okay, I looked at the reviews. Maybe it's a bigger purchase decision. I want to get a little bit more information. Obviously, I can do Google searches and find more reviews and more, you know, information from either experts or other consumers. But I can also go to my network and go, hey, 1,500 people on Facebook, what did you think? Have, have you have you, you bought one, one of these from these guys? Right. What did you think? What was your experience? And that speaks volumes to consumers right like we we love peer review mm -hmm. right like it's one of the most um we will value our peers opinions about products and services than we will experts and certainly over the leadership of that brand and certainly over a uh, a statistic oh yeah certainly over a statistic because because the stories it, it, well, it's a story. It's a narrative. It's something real that we can go. I can put my, I can put myself in that friend's or family's, the family member's shoes, right. and go, oh yeah, that does sound like a horrible experience, or oh, that did sound like a wonderful experience. Yeah. All the more so if they're a good storyteller, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, but you're right. It's, it, and I, I see two, um, two parts of that. One of them is story, like yep. you said, which I hadn't thought of initially. Yep. Um, but what what I was initially thinking was the um, it's kind of like qualitative research. People yeah. are like, oh, it's it's um it's it's oh it's less information. You have a smaller sample size. Yep. I mean, but I'm just thinking, but but that one that one sample you have is like a picture. It speaks a thousand words compared to a number. Yes. Compared to them marking a, a yes. um a, a, an answer to a question they may or may not understand and may or may not be written well. Yep. You know. And so there's there's a depth of that. And so we look at that and say, oh, so-and-so who I respect and know now, you know, and which goes into storytelling because it's their character in the story. Yep. So I guess it's, it is really just, you know, it's story. It's, a, yep. it's like a story there. And that story contains all that qualitative information, all that background, that backstory that uh, no statistic yep. or expert, you know, could yep. ever hope to, to convey to me. Yes. You know, brilliant. So now... I want to talk a little bit the high ground. I want to give yeah. my little spin on yeah. that because for me the um, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, did I say I was a big fan of war analogies. Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's Sun, fine. That's Sun great. Sun Tzu, the art of war. So yeah. I'm a big, big fan because um, because uh, it's it's just little little tidbits that just really make you think. Each one just makes you think because it doesn't overexplain you, which I love. So Sun Tzu talks about um, the moral law, mm -hmm. and to me, I'm wondering if maybe that's you know, the high ground we're talking about, right? This, this moral law, because how he talks about it is that it affects your ability to lead and to communicate and for people to buy into what you're doing. If you're, have you ever worked, like, have you ever worked somewhere where um, you felt like the boss was really not about the right thing? You felt like maybe the, the, the product wasn't all that, you know, you said it was and, um, so you, have you ever? I mean, what, did you did you love working there? No, it was this place where I had to wear a blue shirt to work every day, and it was a big box, <laughs> and it wasn't IKEA. Oh no! <laughs> I know you're talking about. Yeah, I oh, lasted man. about nine months there. Wow. Yeah, okay. and uh, that was exactly that story, right? Mm -hmm. It was you know mm -hmm. a product I didn't fully believe in, um, and I think the marketplace didn't believe in it either, as we can see by the fact that I mean, it was just I mean, it's out there. It's Best Buy, right? Very few of them exist anymore. Yeah. Um, they got they got, just got chewed to shreds by Amazon and Dell. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, we had certain individuals within our specific store that were really all about sales numbers. Yeah. And some of that was culturally driven from leadership above them. Some of that was just you know certain individuals are going to take that more seriously than others. Um, you know, from a sales management perspective. But um, I I just I felt like 
it's great to have goals. It's great to have quotas for your team in order to reach those goals. Yep. But if they're not backed up by something that you're all proud of selling, <laughs> right. you're going to have a really hard time not only hitting those goals, but even keeping people on point, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so, you know, that was that was a job that uh, was it was frustrating. That was it's, absolutely frustrating. It's almost like there was no there. It was uh, it was violating the moral law. You yep. might you might say if yeah. I could like just go you know take that over. Yeah. Because uh, what would what would have happened if the leadership would have said, you know what though, we you're going to meet these sales numbers, but here's why these sales numbers matter, and here's what you're doing to help someone, and you're essentially you're inviting customers in. Uh, to help them get what they need. And yep. by doing that, you're reaching your sales numbers. And here's how, and here's our philosophy, and here's how we're gonna back you up. And you know, with advertising and with all these things, there's gonna be the right messages that where people come in for the right reasons. I mean, you get to treat them awesome and, and you know, really well, and you get to keep your promise, and they're gonna walk away happy because they got what we promised. What if, the, what if that were the case? I think I would have loved that job a whole lot more. So, I mean, I'm just wondering if, like, you know, if the high ground isn't just exactly that, you know, it's just like saying, you know, here's what we're about. Um, and, and if you if you believe it and then you know how to do it. Yep. And so and so I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, sometimes I describe, um, you know, branding in this way is branding is like leadership that has a, 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 an aligned voice, a coherent voice. Yep. Right. So you have leadership, but then branding is just kind of how does that look? How does that sound? How do we communicate that? I mean, it's, 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 it's not just actions, right? Leadership no. isn't just actions. It's, it's helping to lead other people. And so other people can understand what you're doing and why you're doing yep. and making sense of that. Yeah. And so, and so now you're, you're, you're very, uh, you're an expert at that. Um, because that's what you do all the time. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I love having you on the podcast. So, <laughs> but let's talk about, um, strategy as well. So, um, so we talked about Arizona brands, why Arizona brands, why the high ground? Right. Um, why, why strategy? What, what, what does strategy have to do um, with any of this? Isn't it just uh, maybe I just kind of gave it away a second ago? But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I think winging it is a great way to do stuff, right? I'm joking. I'm joking, people. You said uh, it was such a straight face. Yeah, I, I know. Like, hmm. there, there's that sarcasm we were talking about earlier. Awesome. Um, no, I mean, like, it, it, strategy is your plan, right? It's it's saying okay if these are our values if these are the goals that we have this is all part of your strategy right mm -hmm. you got to know where what's the high ground we stand on what's the objective that we're shooting for and then how do we get there mm -hmm. that's all strategy is right and you can you can add a whole lot of detail between those three things where do we stand where do we want to be uh -huh. and how do we get there yep but ultimately like if you don't have that you have no roadmap right, right yeah and it's I used to. I worked for a, a company that we constantly joked that we never knew what we were going to be selling that day. And I wasn't on the sales team, but we all kind of were a part of that process at some level, right? You're either executing or you're, you're creating the plan to execute or you're actually selling, mm -hmm. right? And our joke was like, what are we selling today? Refrigerators? And this company had nothing to do with refrigerators, right? <laughs> and I use this analogy of, of football, right? It felt like a lot of days you walked in and you were asked to be playing a position on the field that you didn't understand, right? You were like, I don't really understand my position. You know, you tell me I'm a wide receiver, but I don't really know what that means mm. within the context of this team. And you're telling me to score without showing me where the end zone is. Yeah. Like, are we on the 20-yard line? Are we on the 40-yard line? Are we facing the right way? Are we on offense or on defense? Are, are we on offense? Or <laughs> we, do we have the ball? Do we not have the ball? Yeah. Uh, are we even in the right stadium? Right. We're, are we supposed to be in the stadium? We're supposed to be in the parking lot? I'm confused. Oh, man. Yeah. And so, like, that's what strategy does, right? It aligns everybody on one um, one plan, right? One roadmap, one way to get where you want to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and hopefully that's grounded in truth, right? I think we're going to keep, keep oh, hitting yeah. that, right? You can have a plan and not have it grounded in truth, and you can communicate that plan brilliantly to everyone on your team and even to your customers, and it won't work. Because it's not grounded in what's really there. So, so, so that brings me to the uh, subject of um, philosophy, right? Yeah. So it, it's funny because when I was at Oregon, you know, we, we had a, you know, it's, it's, I, was, I was teaching technically, it was kind of a liberal arts, uh, you know, whether you call it that or not, it was a liberal arts topic because we taught 
we taught branding in um, in brand thinking, you know, through you know design, writing, yep. you know, things like that, campaigns and everything. So it was very, it, it was really interesting because I would have moral conversations with my students because I was I taught strategy, you yep. know, I taught strategy. So it was it was um, account planning. It was it was uh, that that was my main main thing, right? Like, what do you, uh, are we telling the truth? And then how are people going to understand that? And so. I quickly, I started as a copywriter and then I realized, oh, we need strategy. So I became a strategist. And then I started realizing, wait a second though, yep. the clients don't, don't have alignment. So that, so I'm going to be telling them message. I'm going to be telling their customers messages that are slightly wrong yep. and that's going to be inefficient. Yep. Right. And so <clears throat> I started talking with students in campaigns class. I started talking to them very seriously about account managers. How do you talk to your client and really kind of get them to align get them to make sense of what they know, you know, to begin with. And then how do we make sure we have a good philosophy of the brand, right? And so that we can go out and say, okay, there, there are no contradictions in what they're saying. Look, tons of stuff to work through with every brand. Um, nobody's ever going to be perfect. Nobody no. should feel bad about no. saying like, hey, we haven't figured it out yet. So we shouldn't it's be a brand, no. right? It's a spectrum on which you find yourself and you hope to continually improve on that spectrum. Yeah. But you don't hit like 100% perfection. But when, but when honesty is your goal yep. and integrity is, is what you're what you're going for, even if you're not totally sure yet, you don't have to be perfect. Um, but what great what great brand people will do is, is they'll help you analyze yourself and they'll constantly push you and call you on stuff. You know, um, maybe not all at once. Maybe it won't be super overwhelming. Yeah. But but little by little, they will be wanting you to be the best brand you can be, yep. and so that when you go to work, you can love your job. And so that when you go lead your company, you can love, you know, your, your, your leadership. You can love what you get to tell people and you can love the consistency and you can look around and you can love how people are growing around you, you know, your, your own company. And then you can look out and you can love how your customers are talking about you. And, and then you can love when the customers talk bad about you, that they're talking bad about you for the right reasons yes. because you're not, you know, yeah. because you're not doing what everybody else is doing. Yep. You know, you're doing something different. You're keeping that promise. Yep. And so to me, you know, strategy is really about philosophy and, and philosophy um, is alignment. And, yeah. and it's, not, it's not everyone who's passionate about being able to see those small contradictions that are fine when you're on the, when you're a line employee, you know, maybe you don't get everything, but when you're at the core, at the, like the water, the watershed or the headwaters, you know, yeah. of, um, of, you know, where you have, um, you have a lack of clarity with your brand, with your mission, mission values, and how it's not okay to get worse from there. Yeah, it's only going to get worse. Everything downstream, yep. right, is going to get affected by that lack of clarity. And so, great brand, great brands and leaders require just that consistent, um, consistent improvement of philosophy, right? Absolutely. And what is that? And and, and and I think I think what that does for your for your uh, for your brand is it, it establishes we, we don't just talk about it but but we're testing it yep. we're, we're, we're we're watching it happen but we're getting better at it because improvement only happens when you're saying hey we want to be better than we are right now yep. right <clears throat> and so and so why strategy um, you know it's not I guess the point is it's not uh, it's it's not sufficient to be a leader you um, it's necessary but it's not sufficient you yep. know and, and what that means, philosophers use that use that terminology because um, because it's uh, it's kind of like um, you know it, it's something that has to be there, but it's not enough to actually make you a great brand. And so um, it's about putting those ideas into actions. And um, and I think a- actions I, I don't know uh, actions happen when operations um, when when the operations are execute, able to execute your brand in a way that aligns with your leadership promises. Yep. What, what would you, what would you add to that? Or are you just going to say, amen? I'm just going to say, totally agree. Yeah. You know, behavior is a result of culture and culture is a result of leadership. Mm-hmm. Right. So if your leadership, like you were saying, like if your leadership is super clear on the strategy, right. On the values, the objectives and the, and the, the roadmap to get there, they're super clear on those things. Mm-hmm. Right. That's going to intrinsically develop a culture around that plan. Mm. And that culture will inherit behavior that's in alignment with those things. But if you're not clear, right, if I'm getting one message from the CEO and I'm getting a different message from the CMO 
and the CFO has no clue about anything, um, which uh, that would never happen. That never happens. That never, happens. never ever happens. <laughs> it's, it's probably the reverse. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, if you're getting different messages, or you're getting unclear messages, muddy messages, mm-hmm. like that culture is going to be really muddy, and the behavior that comes out of it is going to be messy behavior. It's going to be inconsistent and maybe even like not good. Yeah. Right? Okay. Um, like I my my great example from two years ago is Volkswagen, right? They their leadership had a very clear objective for their company, which was we want to be the largest car manufacturer in the world. We want to beat Toyota, right? That was their big hairy audacious goal. And they said we want to do it in five years. I think they set that goal in like twenty twelve. And they hit it in 2014, I think, 2015, somewhere in there. Hmm. And within nine months, it came out that their diesel emissions, like the the, they had put a chip in a bunch of their diesel cars that allowed their cars to lie to emissions testers in America about the level of, of you know, issue, you know, the, the level of emissions that were bad, that was, the cars were emitting. Okay. Right? Yeah. In order to achieve a higher rate of pass for their diesel cars. And I can totally see, I don't have, like, quantitative data that says there's a direct line between the objective, being the largest car manufacturer in the world, and cheating. Hmm. But I have to assume that if you're going to beat your goal by two years in a five-year plan... Somewhere in there, you either cheated or you are just brilliant. And when it comes <laughs> out that you cheated, I have to assume that that's how you got there at some yeah. level, right? Right. And what's interesting is I go, okay, well, what's missing? Like, what happened that caused them to go, here's the goal, and at all costs we're going to get there, including some some immoral, you know, lack of lack of true moral behavior, yeah. right? We're going to yeah. lie not only to our customers, right? That's the first thing. I lied to customers and said, our diesel cars do not emit, you know, bad stuff at a level that that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. Yeah. Well, actually they do, but we'll, we'll just tell you that they don't. And then on top of that, we're going to, we're going to cheat the regulators, mm-hmm. the people whose jobs it is to ensure that when the brand says this is what our car emits, right. that it actually emits that. Right. We're going to put a chip in our cars that causes the car to emit at a different level when it goes through emissions and tell the emissions testing equipment something different. Yeah. Like you've lied at two levels, right? And that is unacceptable. But how do you get there? Well, you get there when your objective is not grounded on values. Amen, man. Right? I was just thinking that so whole thing. I was just like, like, wait until you get to the end. Wait for it, wait for it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, if, so your leadership, if your company has great objectives, right? Like, a big, hairy, audacious goal, like beating Toyota to be the largest car manufacturer in the world, I got no problem with that. Like, I don't think any customer or any employee at Volkswagen was like, that's a stupid thing to do. And that's, <laughs> that's a horrible, you know, objective. And that goes against everything that you believe in as Volkswagen, right? actually kind of fits right if you look at the history of volkswagen all the way back that makes sense so what should they have well how should they have um framed that is there a way to frame it yeah so it's simply simply identifying like this is our big hairy audacious goal this is our objective but we cannot sacrifice our values to get there that's it right and here are the here are five here's the seven whatever the number is that you've identified as leadership as your core values and hopefully okay. somewhere buried in those core values. It doesn't have to be the explicit core value, but one of those values probably should be we don't lie to get there. Okay, let me ask you something. Man. Yeah. Let me ask you something because I want to flip this because I don't I don't ever like to stop at the negatives. Like don't yeah, yeah, do yeah. this. So what there. should you do? What should so 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 here's Brutal my question. Honesty. So here's my question. So well let me here, here's my question because I think that you know you can have that goal like we're gonna beat Toyota, right? Yep. But is there something in your values that's not like just like, okay, but but we have to do it without doing X, yeah, yeah. Y, and Z. There's something in your values. We have say, to do it with this. We're gonna do it by doing this. Yeah. Like like what are what are our strengths? You know, what are yep. the things that we're proud of? What do we stand on? What is our brand? Yep. Well, you know, what is our strength that we stand on that we're yep. offering? What are we really offering people? And how do we how do we in other words, how do we give our brand more value yep. without um, how do we win by how do we win by being who we are and yeah. fulfilling promises, making the right promises? How do we do that? 
and not not getting stuck on things that maybe you think you are but aren't really so and i think Ooh, okay I, I think i'm 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 totally swinging here at i'm swinging blind right okay. i'm not inside the leadership team at volkswagen okay so I, i'm speaking full disclosure full disclosure Mike does not know anything about what he's they're not about, a client he's gonna go ahead and guess work no. with them yet <laughs> give me a call guys uh but anyway so I think I think what one of the challenges for a brand like Volkswagen, I'll take Volkswagen as, as an example. They have developed a reputation as the diesel car company, right? That's been a strong part of their brand for decades. Yep. And I think what's happened there, or what happened there, was that they set this big, hairy, audacious goal, and they thought that part of their brand was diesel. And that in order to achieve that goal, they must rely on the diesel side of their brand to get there. Hmm. And the reality is the diesel brand didn't have the strength, or the diesel emphasis didn't have the strength the to carry. The dieselness doesn't yeah. have the strength to carry them to that goal. And that, I think, is a huge thing I see with a lot of brands who get stuck in the technicalities of what ah, they make okay, yeah. or what they produce or how they serve people, right, if they're a service-based business. Mm -hmm. And you, get, you, you can actually get so myopic with your brand that you think, oh, we're just a shoe company. We only make shoes. And so when we set goals, the only ways to achieve those goals is through the manufacturing of shoes. If Nike had said that, in 1978 and said we want to be the largest athletic apparel company in the world by only selling professional quality shoes, do you think they would be the brand and the ginormous giant of athletic apparel that they are today? And, and there, but, but there are always those people, though, who are just like, oh, it's simple. It's about this. Yeah. It's about this. It's yeah. simple. And it's like, oh, oh, so no thinking required. All we have to do yep. is say we have diesels and, yep. you know, whatever. And it's is, I mean, is that good enough? Or does that, I mean... It's not good enough, right? It's not, <laughs> right? Because what it does is it bases you on a product. Mm, it commoditizes. It commoditizes yeah. you. And it forces you into a box okay. that really your brand should be able to, to withstand products changing, right? I think great brands, when I look at amazingly remarkable brands who are truly based on a belief system, mm -hmm. their products, yes, are an extension of that, but they are not the brand themselves. And so okay. the product itself becomes a means of communicating the brand values, but you can let the product go because it doesn't fit anymore. So if, I, if I'm Volkswagen and I'm building a, and this is the hard part, right? To, to move a multi-billion dollar international company and shift their brand definition mm -hmm. even a little bit is like moving the aircraft carrier, right? You want to go 15 degrees different, it's going to take you a couple miles to get there. So it is it kind of like, I keep thinking of that guy, Odell Beckham Jr., the one-handed catch guy, you know? Yeah. And I'm just wondering, like, so so what you're saying is um, the one-handed catch is cool and everything, but yeah. what happens if he can't consistently do that? He or breaks what happens, his finger. Yeah. And, and so what's he going to do then? Is he going to stop being Odell Beckham Jr.? Is he going to lose all his personality? Yeah. Or is he going to still be the same guy and still a great football player? And have to find another product, if you will, yeah. or another way to kind yeah. of. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great way to picture it, right? Is if brands are are one dimensional, uh -huh. and there's a lot of one dimensional brands, right? If your if your brand is based purely on a product or what you make, mm -hmm. then you are one dimensional. Yeah, and that isn't necessarily a bad place to start, right? Everyone has to start with something. Uh, <laughs> and it's usually one thing, right? So it's not a bad thing. So don't fire all your great don't, products. Yes, don't, yeah. don't just go like ditch everything. Right, yeah. But you should start, if you haven't already, you should be starting to think about what underlying value system caused us to go to that product right. or that service offering. Uh -huh. And how can we in the future develop that value system that allows for more, huh. right? Uh, I, I, here's an example. I was talking with a company that sells shoes, retail uh, retail shoe company, and they came to me with a challenge of we're stagnating, right? We're basically we're only selling this, the number of shoes that we can possibly sell um, without just adding more stores, right? So it's just a volume game at that point. Yeah. 
and the brand just couldn't quite support adding more stores and the, the owner, the leadership just wasn't interested in like that kind of growth model. And I said, well, tell me more about why you sell shoes. Well, we sell shoes because we're runners. We love to run. Mm. And I said, yeah, I've noticed that. I've, I've looked at your website. I've looked at your social media. You guys talk about running. You're a part of events. You do like, you organize like running meetups and, and you're, you're really about the community of running and you happen to have retail shoe stores. Yeah. That's your business. That's, that's on top of this belief system in running and helping people run better. And I said, if you can define that system better and, and open that up to your, to your, to you guys, your leadership team and to your employees and the community at large and say, this is what we stand for. Yeah. Help us find more ways to do that better. Okay. Besides just selling, just selling shoes. Yeah. Or another product, another apparel product, right? So, so and I was like, well, what about like bringing on coaches? Oh wow. Could you yeah. not do that? Would that not be in line with your brand if you yeah. were to really solidify that value system, and then find coaches that that fit that value system, right. and who then you you sell their time to coach other people on how to run better. Interesting. And it's like all of a sudden now you're not a one-dimensional product brand, right? You're not defined by a retail space. You're not defined by a product. You're not defined by the single transactional purchase that the customer has. And who now puts you in a box, right? When they walk into that store, they're thinking, I buy shoes. This brand is about buying shoes. And uh, what's unfortunate for them is that they're they're in a marketplace where the first purchase is really, really important, right? The first time I go buy my running shoes, I need that expertise. I kind of need to go into the store because I need someone to help me go, you need this kind of shoe and let's look at, let's measure it. Let's figure out your foot. You need narrow, you need wide. How do you run? Let's see where you're impacted. Let's give you the right performance shoe for your style of body type and running and all that stuff. Once you figure out your first shoe, you don't need to go back. Because you can go to Amazon or any other online retailer and probably buy the same shoe for 10 to 15 to 20% less. Okay. Because the value isn't the shoe. The value was in the instruction that got you the right shoe. And that's not a repeatable process for most customers. So you're trying to help them find a way to create community and then repeat customers yep. around that and build a brand that they yep. can support. Yep. that offering and legitimize it and be convincing about it. Yep. So <clears throat> I was thinking about, as you were talking, I was thinking about that, um, the Chick-fil-A example. I heard this on, um, it's probably another podcast and they had a guy on the, on the show and he was from Chick-fil-A and, and at the time they had, um, apparently Boston market had, um, just announced they were going to be expanding. Right. Yeah. And Chick-fil-A saw Boston market as their competition. And so, as many businesses do, and Chick Fil A is a great example of leadership, and so it's it's, it's kind of it almost is. kind of encouraging to it see is. that they freak out as well sometimes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, um, but to have a, and, so, and so I guess they were freaking out. Everybody's freaking out. The you know board or whatever the, the executives were freaking out. And um, there's always that one guy, right? That old guy, the wise guy who doesn't say anything, but then when he does say something, everybody just stops and look. But anyway, so everybody's freaking out, making all this noise and everything, and he's just like banging on the table, and I don't know how this is going to go over the microphone. But, Bang on the table and everybody is quiet and um and he's like he's like we can't worry about boston market we can't worry about expanding we worry about doing what we do well yep. and people will demand that we expand yes yes we worry about what we do well yes. and people will demand that we expand yes. we're creating demand yep. by by creating by creating quality right yep. and to me that's, that's, I think, uh, just more evidence that leadership, that leadership that was sitting around that table, that, that old guy, whoever he was, you know, um, was expressing that brand leadership. And then it was the job of the, you know, the marketing department, the, the branding agency, whatever, to then go out and be the first follower and then go out and execute that and just say, okay, cool, we have our plan, we have our focus, we have the high ground, we're about the right things, we can see far, we're not just, you know, paying attention to the, yeah. you know, the, the emergency that we just, you know, but um, but we're keeping our nerve, yep. you know, and we're moving forward with confidence. Yep. And 
and that's that's what I mean about you know brands being able to like coming into work feeling like I belong and I have created and I lead a brand that is freaking awesome yep. that I love you know and we have confidence we have poise I can get up in front of anybody and talk and if anybody has any problems with how we're doing things I can answer them because I know what we're about yep. and how much confidence comes from that yep. you know well and to use the negative example going back to your your military strategy your high ground analogy right for a lot of brands who don't really have that clear strategy your strategy is actually responding to your competitors. Uh, reactive. It's reactive, right? Yeah. And so it's just like, oh, well, if, if uh, Boston Market's expanding, we need to expand. Or, you know, if, well, if this, this competitor is bringing on this technology, then we need to have that technology. Or if this uh, competitor is opening up this service line, then we need to open up that service line. Well, guess what? If you want to use the military analogy, what is that? That is your competitor, your, your, your enemy. Boxing you into the corner they want you in. They they, they can control that. Whether they, they try to is another issue. Yeah, they might not the even be is that, thinking that in their strategy. Right. But in reality, what will happen is that you will get boxed into a corner from which you are not strategically uh, aligned to fight from. Best case, they're putting you exactly where they want you. Yep. Worst, oh, wait, wait, worst case. Worst, worst case. case, they're putting you where they want you. Best case... They're taking all the best stuff, and yeah. you're getting the leftovers. Yeah, that is that is the best case. Yeah, and uh, that rarely goes well in the long run. Right? Yeah, that's a that's a slow death. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. You become That's a great way to become commoditized and lose all value in your brand, and then not love coming into work every day. Just yeah. getting burned out, and yeah. your employees get burned out. Your customers leave. It, you yeah. just you're not exciting. You don't mean anything anymore. No leadership. So our last uh, our last topic was execution, but you know, man, I think we've kind of covered that a little bit. Uh, but let's make sure we didn't leave anything out. Um, there's something to be said, you know, for, uh, for, you know, executing, you know, doing the best practices, right? There's something to be said for best practices. Yep. And um, they take the, a lot of the work, the repeated work out of what we do. Um, uh, there's something to be said for dressing politely, you know, uh, or dre dressing nice, uh, acting yeah. politely, you know. Um, there's, there's something to be said for that. There's no replacement for that because that's just the language of business. It's the language of how we interact with people and build trust, right? If you yep. do it right. But, uh, once again, it's not sufficient. No. Um, and, uh, and I used to talk about, uh, I used to talk about, uh, when I would talk about creative advertising agencies with students, because there are these, um, advertising agencies we saw as service agencies, right? They would buy media, they would do all the right stuff, but they weren't creative. Yeah. They would talk about, I mean, they, they, they have the obligatory, you know, oh, we're creative. And they would talk about all the books they read and everything and say all the right things. But in the end, they didn't do any of that stuff. <laughs> you yeah. know? They were very good at just buying media and making yeah. good just use executing. of your money. Right. Yeah. They'd, they'd make good use of your money. They'd take you out to make you feel special. They do all that stuff. It was a great purpose for those people. On the other end of the spectrum is creative agencies. And uh, of course, creative agencies do all the creative stuff. They ask the right questions. They, they want you to be strategic. They push you and so they can make the best creative, the most focused creative that they can to connect with your customers and deliver relevant truths to your yep. customers. The interesting thing, though, is once I started teaching it, I started realizing, oh, these service agencies, they do service really well. And these creative agencies, they do creative very well. The creative agencies, they also do service very well because you can't, you can't just be creative and not make your deadlines. You can't just be creative and not take people out to, you know, guide them through the process and yeah. buy the media. You also have to have all those things. So now take that to apply that now to business, you know, apply that now to your company. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so when we talk about execution. We're not, we're, you know, we're not, we're not, we don't want to leave. We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Don't throw away your diesel engine. Right. Yep. Um, but, but find out, uh, find out then how, how then, so, so we have our mission, vision, values, we have our strategy, how then do we execute, you know, in the everyday? And I think I just want to, I, I want to just kind of tie that in, right? Because we're not, we're not talking about throwing anything out. We're talking about, we're talking about adding, what is that secret sauce? You know, what is your brand? What is that secret sauce where you can take leadership and be the one who leads the charge in a new direction? Mm -hmm. Um, and I always think of Nike. Because Nike, um, 
Well, Starbucks, Starbucks, Starbucks did exactly the same thing. And uh, by the way, Scott Bedbury was at the yes. center of both of them. <laughs> both of them. Uh, yeah. uh, close personal friend of mine. Uh, hey, Scott, what's up? Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, so you know, with 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 Nike, they uh, sh- you know, athletic shoes weren't uh, they weren't anything special. They weren't the thing before Nike. Nope. Coffee was not something in the United States that you could uh, maybe anywhere that you could charge like what it three, was Folgers and Maxwell House bucks. It was cup. Yeah. cheap crap on the store shelf. Totally. It worked. It's sludge and yeah. it worked. It did the job. Yeah. You know? It might, might have passed the standing spoon test. Yeah. You guys remember that one? <laughs> what was that barbecue sauce way back? Wow. Oh, Some man. of you won't remember that. Don't feel Coffee bad. barbecue sauce. Um, now we're talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, thick, rich, eat it with a yeah. fork, you know, whatever. Um, but, uh, but they, you know, Howard and uh, Scott, yep. you know, kind of turned that into a bigger thing, you know? And so... And so those are, you know, there's potential. There's unrealized potential out there. Um, and, and, and that really kind of gets us to thinking about, um, okay, what do people really need? What do they want? And I want to point out that, um, that next time this is a good segue, kind of like a good ending point. Um, next time we're going to talk about, what are we going to talk about next time, Mike? We're going to talk about personas. Personas. So uh, personas and how do you build personas? Uh, you, you're gonna get some insight into how do you catalog them. So it's just the basic like you know persona um, workflow, and then maybe we'll get some uh, a little extra no extra charge uh, uh, insights on how to do a little bit of insight planning and find out those things yeah. that you didn't know you needed to ask and potentially be, find find those areas of the market that are unrealized and um, even unexplored by other brands and potentially become another Nike. Yep. Uh, potentially give yourself the insight and the and the knowledge to become another Starbucks, and so, and it's in um, and it's it's in customers, uh, uh, it's in customer research where we find some of those some of those very interesting things. So, <clears throat> so as we close, this has been Chris and Mike talking about the importance of brand, of uh, brand thinking and branding Arizona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you guys have questions, definitely hit us up in the comments, or if you want, shoot us emails. You can reach Chris at chrisstadler.com. That's chris at c-h-r-i-s-s-t-a-d-l-e-r.com. And you can reach me, Mike, at mike at resoundcreative.com, R-E-S-O-U-N-D, creative.com. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to talking to you next time.